This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from Darabin Presbyterian Church in Thornbury in Melbourne's inner north. Today's big question, is Christianity a force for good in the world? We're asking this question today to Barney Zwartz. Barney is a senior fellow at the Centre for Public Christianity and worked for The Age newspaper for 32 years, the last 12 as religion editor. He continues to write for the media on faith and politics as well as on classical music and opera. Please welcome Barney Zwartz. Well, Barney, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you, Robert. That's good. Um, so, Barney, you've worked in a variety of roles at The Age newspaper for over 30 years. Did you enjoy your time there? I uh, very much enjoyed my time at The Age. Uh, at the time, The Age was one of the great newspapers of the world. It was deeply authoritative and widely admired, and I just really liked what it did. Terrific. And what happened then when you applied for the religion editor job? That was my last 12 years at The Age. And the religion round was normally given to very junior reporters so they could prove that they were fit for more senior roles later on. But I said to the editor, we only ever cover three religion stories in the age, and they are clergy abuse, and the church is dying, and the church is getting in the way of women. And all these are good stories or important stories to run, but if they're the only thing we write about religion, then we're missing the richness and variety of a very important part of society. They agreed. Now, is it true that you have a degree from a university in Liberia? I do. <laughs> I, I believe that I am the world's only PhD in uh, fireology. I bought it from online for $350. <laughs> it, it's based on life experience, and I wanted to have a doctor of philosophy, but they couldn't spell it. <laughs> well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're talking with Barney Zwartz about if Christianity is a force for good in the world. So, Barney, our smaller questions to you today are, how much do you know about forces? Now, do you feel qualified? Uh, based on life experience, uh, yes. Right, okay, well, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Okay, in physics, what is the unit of force? Is it A, the Newton, B, the Pascal, C, the Joule, or D, the midichlorian? So which of those is the unit of force in physics? I'm going to guess Newton, but it's completely a guess. Uh, and Well, it's a good guess because it's the right answer. Yes, in fact, <laughs> one not? A round of applause, yes. Uh, Pascal measures uh, pressure or stress. A joule is a measure of energy or work. And a midichlorian is from the Star Wars movies and are organisms which enable a person to use the force. So, um, yeah. Question two. The Newton is a measure of force. Who is it named after? Was it A, Bert Newton, B, John Newton, C, Sir Isaac Newton, or D, Albert Einstein? I would like to say Bert Newton, but, <laughs> but as this is going on here, I'm going to say Sir Isaac. And it's a good one to say because it's the correct answer. So, yeah, um, you are a force to be reckoned with because you got two of our two smaller questions right. Big round of applause for Barney. <laughs> So, Barney, Sir Isaac Newton is one of the greatest scientists ever, yet it's common to believe that Christianity opposes science and scientific thinking. For example, I found a website with 20 reasons to abandon Christianity, and they listed uh, reason number eight as Christianity is anti-intellectual, anti-scientific. 
It claims that for centuries, Christianity arrested the development of science and scientific thinking, miring the populace in the deepest squalor and ignorance with tragic results. So is Christianity an anti-scientific force, bringing tragic results? I have to say that I find that sort of comment deeply exasperating. Mm -hmm. Why so? Uh, people who make this sort of claim usually say that they, uh, they themselves rely on reason and evidence, and there is neither reason nor evidence behind that statement. It's just utterly absurd. There have been several scientific revolutions in history. The Greeks had one, the Romans had one, the Chinese had one, the Arabs had one. But the big one was the scientific revolution that preceded the Enlightenment, or was part of the Enlightenment, and that flowed directly out of Christian presuppositions, and uh, most of the practitioners of it were deeply devout men, such as Sir Isaac Newton. Mm. But, but how did it flow out of Christian convictions? The, the really important Christian insight was that uh, nature is rational, that God is a rational being who made a rational uh, universe which can be investigated and which will be consistent. And then when uh, the Reformation happened, that took it a degree further because uh, the Bible was suddenly interpreted almost entirely literally. The Reformation emphasised the literal, and that meant that uh, people could divorce a theology from nature. There were the two books of God, the, the, you know, the Bible, and, the, and the, created order, the created order. But isn't it just self-evident that the universe is rational and can be interrogated? Uh, it wasn't self-evident until people started doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, other societies didn't see it that way. Now, when Sir Isaac Newton discovered his law of gravitation in his Principia Mathematica, which is one of the um, world's most groundbreaking scientific texts ever written, he expressed the hope that it would persuade the thinking man to believe in God. Now, was he just saying that because everyone was Christian at the time and he'd lose credibility if he didn't put in something about God in his work? No, uh, not at all. Newton was uh, an extraordinarily devout man. He thought that his theological writings would be far more important than his scientific investigations. Uh, history has proved him wrong on that. Mm -hmm. But he was undoubtedly sincere in desiring to lead people to God. Mm. Although, but wasn't it only when we got rid of religion or religion when it got out of the way that we could make scientific progress? So in his bestseller, God is Not Great, atheist Christopher... Hitchens claimed that the wonders of the microbial world were only made evident after the priests had been elbowed aside and medical research at last given an opportunity. I mean, isn't that the, the way that progress has been made in science? The idea that science and, Christians and Christianity are opposed is a relatively recent invention. It comes from the latter part of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. Until then, uh, Christians were very much part of it. Uh, and of course, the professional scientists were often still Christians. Uh, enormous work was done in the early part of the 19th century by clergymen, and they advanced science a long way. Mm. Perhaps we can explore those later. But the big question today is, is Christianity a force for good in the world? But Barney, before we get too much further, maybe we could just step back a bit and consider what the good actually is. What constitutes good in our world? When we have a force for good, what is that? Uh, anybody's view of the good springs from their culture, their parents, their own thinking, and in the West... The, by far and away, the principal uh, source of, of, of our cultural values remains the Judeo-Christian Judeo heritage. Mm. Now, you had a conversation uh, with uh, radio personality John Fain about this once. Can you tell us what happened there? Uh, John Fain is uh, obviously a highly intelligent man who is uh, quite opposed to Christianity. And he said to me uh, on air that he could be as good as me without religion. And I said, absolutely, that's true. That's part of common grace. Uh, he has a conscience as I have a conscience. He can live up to light as well or as better than me. Uh, and then he said uh, that he had found all this by himself. 
and that's where I told him that he was totally deluded. Mm -hmm. His morality had not sprung fully formed in his mind, like Aphrodite on the seashell in the famous Botticelli painting. He had, he had grown up in, in a culture. He had absorbed values. He, he might have considered them later, but he did not invent them all himself. Mm. Where would you say that they, those things come from? I would say that in large part, though not entirely, they come from our Judeo-Christian heritage. Really? Not, not something like the Enlightenment or something? Well, the Enlightenment uh, grew out, again, of the Judeo-Christian heritage. Mm. But is there a problem here for the secularists? For example, famed atheist and scientist Richard Dawkins once wrote, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. So does this create a problem in trying to work out what is good in the world if he suggests that there is no evil and no, no good? I think for Richard Dawkins that does create a problem about what is good. It becomes what uh, Bertrand Russell said about ethics. In the end, it's merely a matter of what you prefer. Yeah. You, you really can't have any argument beyond preference. But what Richard Dawkins has said is not something that any of us or most of us naturally agree with. We, we don't see that life as pitiless. We don't see life as uh, totally lacking in meaning or value. Well, I mean, even Dawkins himself would probably argue that there are things that we should be passionate about, that there are good things that we should um, live for and strive for and fight for. I suppose the big question is then, uh, well, where do these ideas come from? And, and, I suppose, and that's why you're arguing that perhaps there's a connection to the Christian faith here. The ideas that Richard Dawkins values and thinks are good are often, very often connected to the Christian faith. For example, he's uh, said that he's enjoyed uh, church services because of the music. Well, that doesn't come from nowhere either. Culture and so forth uh, have been enormously influenced by, uh, by religion. Uh, that's not to say that you have to be religious to enjoy them. Clearly, that's not true. But they wouldn't have been there as they are but for religion. Right. Yes. Now, a poll conducted in the Q&A TV program back in 2012 asked the question, does religious faith make the world a better place? 76% of the 20,000 respondents said no. So why do you think so many Australians think that Christianity is bad for the world? I think that poll is not actually a very accurate reflection of Australia at large. I think that's an ABC audience, <laughs> okay. uh, of, of whom I'm you know, usually a member. I usually watch Q&A, right. uh, and, and, I, and I like it. Did you vote that night, you remember? I didn't vote that night. <laughs> okay, right. But, uh, I mean, 51% of people in, in the census, most recent census, uh, identified as Christian, with another 9% identifying with other religions. Uh, Hugh Mackay, the social commentator, did a survey that showed 88% of Australians want a church in their neighbourhood, even though they're not going to go there. Uh, so they, they clearly don't think the religion's not a... Uh, it's not a negative force, necessarily. No. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, most people are, are very grateful for the social work and, and, and welfare and advocacy done by the churches, even if they're not believers themselves. But these people do have a point, though, with things like rampant child sexual abuse in the church, uh, subsequent cover-up of predipile priests. I mean, there's quite clearly a force for evil there in, in some of the things that have happened. Yes. I, I, I spent a good deal of my 12 years at the age as a religion editor writing about this very subject, and I felt uh, very passionately about it, as, as people do. I was fighting for that whole time for the Victorian Parliamentary Inquiry and the Royal Commission that, were, that eventually did come about. Uh, it's not so much that you have pedophile priests, because let's face it, 95% of abuse takes place in the home. What was deeply disturbing was the response of the authorities in, uh, in silencing victims, covering up the, the, the events, moving priests on to other places where they could continue it. It was what the, it was what the institution did that I found so uh, deeply offensive. Mm. So isn't there therefore that Christianity is a force for evil in the world? Isn't that a clear example? 
that's a long bow to draw, isn't it? Uh, clearly, Christianity has a mixed record as, because Christians are humans uh, and we are heir to all the failures that humans are of self-interest and, uh, uh, and, and lying and, and selfishness and so on. But that doesn't, that, that doesn't rule out Christianity as a force of good. It just shows that Christians are fallible. Mm. And you find me any other group of people who are, who are not so equally so. Mm. Now, others perceive Christianity as being bigoted, hateful, and misogynistic. So American television host and political commentator Bill Maher once said, if you belong to a political party or a social club that was tied to as much bigotry, misogyny, homophobia, violence, and sheer ignorance as religion is, you'd resign in protest. So why haven't you resigned from the Christian religion? <laughs> because that's not my experience of it. Uh, misogyny. The first uh, Christians were deeply liberating. We have women slaves who led house churches and became deacons. The attitude of Christian sex morality was deeply liberating in the, in the Greco-Roman world where men were expected to have affairs at, at will but women were locked up in the house and could be divorced just by saying, I divorce you. Now, of course, you know, as history's gone by, we've got a very, very mixed record again on, uh, on treatment of women. Uh, but the key verse is that, is that in Christ there is neither Greek nor Roman, male nor female, and that has, that has led to many social revolutions mm, or mm. many improvements for women. So, Mars, uh, is that a fair appraisal of Christianity, what he suggested? Well, clearly it's not. Clearly it's highly tendentious and uh, uh, reflects his own hostility, and, and he's perfectly entitled to that view. Mm. But uh, he'd have to produce a lot more evidence for it. Uh, Rather than just some sound bites, so to speak. Yeah. Right. So what good, then, has Christianity done here in Australia? We would not have a European Australia if it weren't for uh, the Christians in the, in the first fleet and soon thereafter. I've been reading a book by Roy Williams called Post-God Nation, which is extremely illuminating about this. He, he writes that there were four Christians on the first fleet, or three people on the first fleet, and the supplier in England who gave them, uh, who was passionately devoted to the new world and actually gave them very good uh, supplies. And if it hadn't been for that, the first fleet would, would not have arrived intact. Hardly anybody died in the first fleet, a couple of dozen people. In the second fleet, 273 people died. In the third fleet, 199 people died. The first fleet would not have been able to survive in Australia had that number of people died on it. Correct. So, but what's the connection then with um, the, the person being a Christian? Well, it was, it was the Christian uh, ideas of, uh, of the first governor and of the, and of the leader of the, of, the, of the first fleet that kept people alive and, and treated them with uh, more humanity. Once we got here, it was Richard Johnson, the very first Anglican minister, was an expert in farming and planted farms and kept people alive. He gave um, enormous amount of uh, food to the poor from his own stocks. Uh, it was Christians who led the exploration and were able to endure the hardships, uh, so they said later, because of their Christian faith. There are, there are so many examples, and I really warmly advocate uh, that book, mm, Post-God mm. Nation. So why isn't this better known then, the positive influence of Christianity in Australia's um, colonial past? Because most historians are secular, and they don't understand how religion works in people's lives, and they don't understand how it worked in, the, in, in those early days. I was reading uh, a historian who said he completely failed to understand how Governor Macquarie could act as he did. He was the governor from 1810 to 1821, who turned New South Wales from a penal colony into a free state. And he was, uh, did an extraordinary amount of public works and was extraordinarily merciful and generous to the prisoners and especially to the people who had served their sentences. And historians could not work out why. 
Well, the answer is very simple. He was a deeply devout evangelical Christian, a friend of William Wilberforce, and that was what motivated him. Mm, mm. So you, you've kind of mentioned a little bit on this, but wouldn't Christianity be more of a force for good if the church just didn't tell everyone what to do? That if faith were kept private and practiced behind closed doors with no influence in public policy? I think the days of the church telling everybody what to do are long gone. <laughs> and, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, I don't mind that. When I left The Age, I joined the Centre for Public Christianity, as you said in your uh, introduction. Yep. And that was because I think it's tremendously important that Christians remain in the public square. There are um, those who would argue that Christians or the Christianity or religion of any sort should be practised purely privately in the home or maybe in the place of worship, but should have no influence in public policy. I think that's uh, dangerously undemocratic and quite wrong. We are as entitled as anybody to have a view about what a flourishing society looks like and to advocate for it. And indeed, our view of a flourishing society, I would argue, is, is a fairer and better one. Mm. And, and in some respects, you could even be arguing tonight that the, the Christianity actually does have a fairly good track record so far of, of, of creating what is seen as flourishing societies. If I can tell, uh, if you'll indulge me in a story, this is what John Dixon, the founder of the Centre for Public Christianity, tells. He says the gospel is like uh, a bark cello suite. He says it's, it's a deeply f profound and beautiful thing. And if you see some child who's uh, just started learning the cello scratching away at it, you might not pick up the beauty, but you should not judge the, the, the bark cello suite by the inadequate performance. And it's the same with the gospel. We, uh, we have certainly uh, put it poorly and misrepresented it over the years and over the centuries, but the gospel itself remains a deeply beautiful and profound and wonderful thing in the way of salvation. Mm. I suppose that resonates with you, does it, as a, someone who loves their classical music? Yes, it does. <laughs> Today's big question, is Christianity a force for good in the world? And the Bible itself helps us answer this question. In the Gospel of Luke, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life we have, Jesus tells a story which may indeed inform public policy. It's the well-known story of the Good Samaritan. Now, Barney, does this give us something of the vision of the good that we look for in our world? Yes, thank you, Robert. I, th I think that's precisely what it does. It's the most famous parable by far, uh, probably the most influential parable. Uh, how many hospitals and welfare agencies do we know that are called uh, Samaritan? It is, it is a, a perfect view of Jesus' ethic because it's uh, universal and it's shocking. Mm. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan in response to a question from an expert of the law who asks Jesus a somewhat spiritual question of what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus answers him by referring to the law and the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, is it significant that part of the response to his spiritual question is the practical injunction to love neighbors? Yes, it's tremendously important. That's how we show our love for God, uh, or one of the ways in which we show our love for God is our love of our fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. And this is probably a hard thing to do in private at times? <laughs> That's a very nice point. <laughs> <laughs> then the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? So Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan in response. Now, so you've mentioned that this parable strikes you as shocking. What, what do you make of it? It would have been shocking to the hearers, because they would have been expecting the hero of the story to be, perhaps be a Pharisee. A religious leader. A religious leader, because the, the Levite and the priest passed by on the other side, and the person who should have done good would surely be a Pharisee. But no, it's a Samaritan, somebody that the Jews despise, 
who they don't recognise as co-religionists. The Samaritans were brought, came about because in 721, uh, the enormous ethnic cleansing by the Assyrians, they removed the ten lost tribes of Israel and brought people in. And so, yeah, the Jews hated the Samaritans. No, so, so what would be a modern equivalent? Would it be almost a, an ISIS terrorist, perhaps? Is This is the person that actually is the person who takes care of the people? Yes, that, in a sense, that's the same sort of shock value, isn't it? Hmm. So does this also, this story also indicate that it's uh, religion in and of itself is not necessarily a force for good in the world because it's the religious leaders that pass by the guy? Yes, certainly. It's, uh, religion needs to have spiritual insight and truth accompanying it, obviously. Mm-hmm. So Jesus concludes the parable by asking a question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So what does this story mean then for a person professing to be a Christian? Well, it it clearly shows that our responsibility is not just to our tribe or to our in-group because humans are irredeemably tribal. And if we're not tribal for our religion, we might be tribal for our country or for our... Um, sports team. Sports team, whatever it may be. But we are. Uh, we, we do tend to look for localised identities. And what this is saying is, no, uh, our neighbours, anybody who, uh, who needs our help. Mm. But the heart of the Christian message is not just about doing good things, though, is it? It's, not, it's sort of an outcome rather than the primary focus of the Christian message. Would that be fair? That, yes, absolutely, that would be fair. Plato said that philosophy begins in wonder. Because we wonder at the universe that we start asking the philosophical questions. For me, religion begins with gratitude. It's gratitude for uh, what God has, has given to all of us and to, and to me in, in, in particular. And it's because I'm grateful that I strive to obey him and strive to do any, any, any good works that I may do are done in gratitude to God. Not because they're a duty or because I'm a good person or any of those things. It's because I'm grateful to God. What particularly are you grateful for? I'm grateful, first of all, for the gospel. I'm grateful, second of all, for uh, the way my life has unfolded. Of course, it's had its moments of pain and, and, and so on. But I've been able to appreciate the wonderful things about creation, the wonderful things about spirituality, family, friends, music. Hmm. Now, now, Barney, Richard Dawkins, in his bestseller, The God Delusion, claims that love thy neighbour really meant only love fellow Jews. Hence, he claims that Christianity fosters outgroup hostility and division, making it a significant force for evil in the world. Is that a fair reading of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, of course, uh, there have been times when Christianity has fostered hatred, uh, but you certainly don't get that out of the Good Samaritan, do you? Well, as you said, it's a shocking, shocking story. I mean, Jesus might as well have said, you know, uh, put an Eskimo in there or someone. Uh, he could not have chosen somebody more out than the Samaritan. Mm, mm. And in the early church, uh, the, it's the one thing that the pagans noticed was how much Christians loved non-Christians. Um, Lucian from Samosata complains that pagans don't act as brothers to all people. Mm. And Julian the Apostate, a couple hundred years later, uh, made, the same, made the same complaint. Until we are like the Christians, look after the sick and the poor and the dying, we're not going to get anywhere. And they didn't. But still, evil is still done in the name of Christianity, though. For example, the Lord's Resistance Army in Central Africa. I mean, aren't these people acting in the name of Jesus? That's a very, very complicated matter indeed. People are often far too quick to blame religion for violence committed in the name, in the name of religion. But by the same token, uh, Christians are often far too quick to excuse ourselves uh, for, for, for that same violence. Uh, no, I don't think that they're uh, done in the name of Jesus. I think that it's done in the name of power, and, uh, and the economic benefit of the, of the warlords. 
uh, and, and people are much more willing to die for a religion than they are for their warlord's pockets. Mm. So how do we work out then what is real Christianity and not? Jesus says that you'll know the, the tree by its fruits. And so that's really, in the end, the only test for Christianity, whether it works, whether it does works of good, uh, defined as we've outlined it, uh, or whether it doesn't. And my argument is uh, that it overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, it's been a force for good. Yes, there's plenty on the wrong side of the ledger, but overwhelmingly that's, uh, it's on the right side. Now, Barney, we've considered the impact for good of the Christian message uh, philosophically in the world, in Australia. But what about for you personally? Now, you didn't grow up in a Christian home. What was it about the Christian message that persuaded you to follow it? Uh, in my teens and, uh, and early 20s, I was a bit like Richard Dawkins. I was uh, hostile, arrogant, sarcastic, dismissive, uh, and then, under the urging of my wife, uh, I actually read the Bible. And, uh, <laughs> and what a profound difference that made for me. And also, it answered for me two uh, burning questions, ethical questions that have been bothering me. The first question is, uh, how can, am I, somebody born into a rich Western home, relatively speaking, uh, the same as a Biafran baby born to three months of, of starvation and then death? Uh, in what way could we be the same? Uh, and the answer is, of course, uh, that we are both made in the image of God. That doctrine of the Imago Dei, I found deeply satisfying. It's, that is where the idea of human rights comes from, that we are all inalienably uh, given the same dignity and value, whatever our life circumstances. And the second question I had was, how is it that human beings are capable of great goodness and kindness and generosity and also selfishness and cruelty and, and viciousness, and often the very same person? How can, this be, how can this be the case? And uh, the doctrine of the fall, however that's understood, provided me with an answer that I found deeply satisfying. Mm. So you found answers to some big questions in the Bible? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, now Richard Dawkins said in a 2016 BBC interview that religion is evil for indoctrinating children in childhood into a religion that requires neither evidence nor justification and is never questioned. Was that your experience? My parents didn't question, no. Uh, I remember once when I was five, my next-door neighbour took me to church because she said I was growing up godless. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that my parents allowed that to happen. Uh, but I, it's, it's simply not true. It is simply not true that we don't question. How many of you have never had doubts, never had questions, never had uh, things that you've struggled to resolve? And sometimes that may take your whole life long. Uh, but in the end, the questions I have now as a Christian, and there are still many, are far fewer than the questions I had as an atheist. So has Christianity been a force for good in your life? Yes, overwhelmingly. It has given me uh, meaning, a purpose beyond myself. It has given me an insight into the way the world works. It has deepened my appreciation uh, for the things that I love. And uh, it has brought me into a relationship with God. So Barney, wrapping up, is Christianity a force for good in the world? Certainly it is, that it has changed the world for the better nearly everywhere it's been. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, is Christianity a force for good in the world? From Luke 10, 27. Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Barney Zwartz. Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. 
go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.